five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. And first we're gonna hear from Red Baron and their new commercial that makes fun of Netflix. Coming soon, the fi final season of Password Sharing. Now that's not very chill. A certain streaming service may be done sharing, but at Red Baron Pizza, we're always down to share something awesome. Anytime, anywhere. Pizza sharing. So click the link. We can't share passwords, but we can share pizza. There's a picture of the pizza. It's highly encouraged. Pizza sharing. Red Baron. Share something awesome. And last night uh, on my fancy big TV, I took Netflix off the menu. It's off the menu, boys. <laughs> but pizza still is. Well, I, I'm on a low-carb diet. As you can tell, I look so much better. <laughs> Trim, tan. Played two rounds of golf this weekend, so I'm doing just spiffy. But anyway, let's get over and hear about the pizza-sharing commercial from... Uh, whoop, from from Audrey Kemp at the drum. Okay, Red Baron's pizza sharing promotion was made in response to the password sharing on a certain sharing service, of course, Netflix. And uh, they mentioned Netflix later, so I don't know why they don't mention it here. But anyway, so Netflix says 40% of consumers in U.S. internet households uh, share free, share streaming accounts per a 2022 study. And we do, we share we share one of us paid for Netflix, one of us paid for Amazon, and one of us paid for um, YouTube. And it worked out very nicely, and it was only three, you know, my daughter, my son, and, and our, ourselves. Um, it doesn't seem abusive, but uh, we didn't send it to all our friends. And uh, But apparently that is, and so we canceled them. <laughs> we canceled the one that won't let us share. And um, so... Red Baron Pizza is encouraging sharing amongst family and friends. Uh, Red Baron is a frozen pizza. They had a coupon offer last week, uh, last Friday, I think, and the coupons sold out in a little over an hour. Boom. Uh, they also have been, um, uh, they also produced some fake movie posters like the Circles and Triangles of Mystery and um <laughs> and rom-coms like pizza my heart or el beso del queso that's uh the kiss of pe the kiss of cheese so anyway that's fun thanks audrey okay here's an interesting article people love stealing stuff from target organized retail crime is crushing u.s retailers and I'm not sure it's crushing, but it certainly has taken a bite out of their profits. And here's the consistent gross margins of Target, um, 23.6 from down from a consistent 28% gross margin. Gross margin is not the EBITDA profit at the end of the year. It's the differential between what you buy it for and what you sell it for, right? And, um, you know, so if you buy it for 50 cents and you sell it for... Mm, 65 cents about, you'll have about a 25% profit. I'm just guessing. It's something around there. 
and uh, so 62 and a half cents, I think. Um, you don't should never do math uh, live stream, right? Is anybody out there chatting? <laughs> should never ever do. That's it. The sleep number bed. Yesterday I was flummoxed on that. And if you think doing this live is is easy, you are crazy. That was from Keith Lawson. Yeah, the sleep number bed. Does that make any sense? <laughs> sleep number. Anyway, so um, so target sales were around 3.0. No, what is this? I don't know, Bugatti. The 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 hustle is always kind of uh, funny. Um, who's this by? Ben Barkley. And um, so I pronounce his name like the like the great philosopher, not the basketball player, but I think he spells it with an A. Okay, so last fiscal year they had 763 million in shrink, which is either uh, accidental or they lost something or a deliberate act of like shoplifting fraud or fraud or cargo theft. Although I was interested in the and Target and Walmart, Walgreens and Home Depot are also uh, complaining about theft increases. I saw a tweet the other day that said that two employees called the police uh, in the midst of a shoplifting episode and they were disciplined or fired or something uh, for a lesser known retailer. I can't remember the name. Sorry. Uh, sometimes I can't. But, you know, it was, you know, they were told not to do anything. Just let people steal it. But you can't keep that up. <laughs> it's not sustainable day after day after day or week after week at least or whatever it is. Once word gets out, once the shelves are restocked, you know, that store will close. We had a store not, not far from our church, a Cub Foods, that closed just because the the shoplifting was so rampant at a grocery store. So um, it's not people shoplifting an individual item for per personal use, they said. It's organized crime. It's sophisticated networks stealing throughout the supply chain on docks, trucks, railways, as well as in stores. Um, and Phil, my friend at um, American Science and Surplus, who had a little catalog, which I worked with. They were a client for a little while. And um, we figured out their RFM was upside down. Don't forget to check out rfm.migmar.com for all kinds of articles and, and uh, simple and academic stuff on customer segmentation. But anyway, uh, they said... You know, it used to be before the Internet, the trucks would show up and the, the cases would be intact and whatever they ordered, they would have. And they said since the Internet, which is uh, Denny Hatch said the said that eBay was the world's largest fencing operation. In other words, you sell stolen goods um, since the Internet, Phil said um, every shipment pretty much has one or two pieces, you know, out of a dozen, it'll have one or two pieces missing. And it's just, it's, it's part of the payment for the shipping. And uh, part of the incentive for locked cargo containers was just to reduce the on-dock shipping. But, you know, some of the re regulations around cargo containers is they have to be open, they have to be openable to be inspected. <laughs> so another hidden fee that we pay. Um... What's interesting is 65 
68.5% of retailers do not have teams. I hate when they give it a second, you know, a decimal, when they probably only, ins they only probably called, you know, 19 of them. That would be about where you get that. Um, don't have an organized, don't have teams fighting against organized crime because external theft only accounted for about a third of lost inventory. Employee theft was almost 30%. And process failures was 25%, which seems like they ordered the wrong stuff or something like that. Um, so interesting article, and uh, that may have more to do with Target's stock decline than uh, than the merchandising issues <laughs> that they've run into lately. That's a euphemistic way of saying it. Okay, this is from Parker Hall from Wired. And an excellent and very, very interesting article. And um, he said, at the Wired Gear Desk, it's, you know, we're mildly concerned that ChatGPT is coming for our jobs. Um, but we feel relatively secure because our job is to test things. And a large language model can't pedal an e-bike and can't see the curves of a dynamic island. I don't know what a dynamic island is, to be honest. Uh, a cloud service can't tell whether a grill cooked burgers evenly. And I think even cooking is uh, maybe overrated. <laughs> I put the, you know, some of them around the hot spot, and then you move, flip them and move them over to the less hot spot. And some of them didn't get cooked quite as much. You move those over. That's part of grilling. If it was easy, anyone could do it. Anyway. So uh, they decided to test out the chat tools uh, on something easy, recommend some headphones. And the answers they spit out shocked me. It was the first time ever I've seen a computer claim, where the emphasis here is on claim, to have ears. <laughs> uh, they tested Google Bard, Microsoft Bing, and ChatGPT. Um, and chat. Microsoft Bing, I guess, said, I have all, <laughs> I have also used a few different pairs of workout headphones myself, it declared confidently. <laughs> and uh, then they have, this is too small for me to read on camera, but um, first of all, computers don't have ears. So the first element of this review is a lie. And not only does AI not have ears, it cannot bring any type of real-world experience to the table, right? It scrapes the web for a mishmash of customer reviews, right? It finds a consensus to some extent, although that, you know, it could be that less popular products have fewer positive reviews, you know, so it's, 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 it's algorithm is going to make somebody win and somebody lose. Um, it's a mishmash of reviews, product descriptions, and most importantly, my stories, meaning stories on Wired and those of my friends and colleagues, right? ChatGBT, Goulbard, and Bing can write, write best of lists, and they may even pick products similar to what I would have chosen, but they still need human input from people like me. Well, they do at the moment. But he argues that um, he argues that when you continue, if we continue to let AI write our articles, and I've only reviewed, I've, I've I featured a couple of articles written by AI. One was 
supposedly by Mark Ritson until I got to the end. And I, I wondered if he'd had a stroke or some kind of brain injury because it just wasn't his usual. They, it, the, ironically, or something, the, the, the AI used some of his turns of phrase that are somewhat unique. So it sort of sounded like him. But the repetition, and especially repetition I found in AI, is rampant. Uh, they, they, they say the same thing over and over. That's what repetition means. I just repeated it just for your illumination. And um, so being, they, they also recommend, you know, wild stuff. Like being recommended a one-year Plantronics Bluetooth dongle for hands-free calls. You know, the thing that sits in your ear and comes around with a microphone. It isn't even a pair of headphones. So they get wildly wrong. Uh, they lie. Um, and they tried office chairs, sex technology. I don't even know what that is. Um, and uh, so without, and this is the important part, without the input of real humans writing about real gear, generative AI will increasingly generate bad recommendations, which it will then use to write worse recommendations. It's a downward spiral of echo chamber of wrong information. Um, and so the first question he asks is, where did you get your information? And Bing is the best at crediting real humans for testing. It's explicitly citing Wired, which is where this article appeared, and competitors with links in tow. You can even ask it for things like, what headphones does CNET recommend that Wired does not? Now that's an interesting comparison and an interesting thing that would be easier for um, AI to do then you know putzing through the lists and you know drawing lines between them. Um, Baird weirdly cites its own personal experience using devices pretty often which is really bad. ChatGPT doesn't claim to be human but it doesn't link to specific articles. ChatGPT does not link to specific articles. Also very often old uh, the data that feeds AI only goes up to 2021 unless you pay extra. So clarity of sourcing is going to be increasingly important. And of course, if you know much about sourcing, oftentimes headlines are very misleading. So uh, oftentimes an article says exactly opposite of what they claim in the headlines for clickbait. The default for ChatGPT is you can't really believe, you can't really believe the answers that come out. No responsible person can figure out what's true and what's fake. And that's the tricky part. No reasonable person. Um, that's the tricky part. This is from uh, Sirdar Sridhar Raswamy. Uh, I think you have to pick from the most trustworthy sites and you have to provide citations that talk about what the, where the information is coming from. Some publishers are already writing stories with generative... AI to cut labor costs with expected hilarious results. Okay, as AI gets better, it will undoubtedly improve. But what does this mean to you, the consumer of the future of AI best lists? Who cares if we're living through our Napster moment? It's easy not to ask too many questions about provenance, in other words, who owns the rights to this music, when you're getting every song you want on Napster. Right now, I'd say it's not worth trusting not worth trusting any AI-generated recommendations unless, like Bing, they cite their link sources. 
It's more important than ever to know where the information is coming from. When it comes to asking AI for recommendations, the information in the human realm will, will require human inputs. Degenerate, <laughs> degenerative, no, it's generative. I made that up. Degenerative AI just imitates the human experience of holding and using the products. If outlets begin to replace their product reviews, buying guides, and best of rankings with AI-generated lists, less overall information will be available. It will become more and more of an echo chamber. Like it says, it will increasingly look even more like an echo chamber where the reviews, if you notice, a lot of times the reviews, even on different sites, you know, if you look up at electronics on, on uh, Walmart or Amazon or whatever, they'll all be either the manufacturer's copy or something like that. And so um, it's essentially a, a fake review process. Um, AI is surfacing our words and opinions without offering us proper affiliate links. It's essentially taking professional opinions and sharing them for free, but sharing none of the revenue. It's a great business model. That's why it's so popular. Okay, one last thing from Craig Huey. The Price is Right, I titled this article. He titled it a lot longer. <laughs> Picking the right price can dramatically boost your sales. And uh, here he goes. So, a few cents can be the difference between a home run or a strikeout. Case in point, American Express published Publishing tested three price points for one of its publications. The control price was $19.95. Two things I like about that. But they didn't just change the price and see what happens. They sent out, they did some sort of A-B split uh, with $19.95 as the price, which w w apparently was what they'd been using, and three different opinions, or three different options. Now, the consumer will not get to pick the price. They don't see all three. The consumer sees one of these three or $19.95. So it's a four-way ABCD split. And so can you guess which one resulted in better sales? If you hang on till the end, you'll get the answer. Here it comes. I think this is fascinating. If you guessed 1999, you're right. Offered at that price compared to the control price, the 1999 results in 10% better sales. Isn't that interesting? Surprisingly, the worst performing price point was the lowest at 1949. I really don't know why this why this happened. It's shocking to me. Why do you think consumers were more attracted to a price of 1999 than 1949? And this is where we have this is an observation. The test gives us observational data. We then form a hypothesis. You say, "Well, I think it's the repeated numbers." So instead of 1995, we'll compare Against 1990, against 1995, we'll, we'll compare 1888 and see if that does better than 1849 or 1949. See if that does better. I don't know. You know, it's not the lowest price. Maybe it's just the rep repetitive numbers are easy to figure out. You know, and then you also want to try just $20 and see how that works. But usually those extra digits seem to help. Uh, fascinating. So that's an excellent, fun article by Craig Huey. Have a great day. Like and share, especially share. It's just as easy to hit that share button as it is on LinkedIn anyway, as it is to, uh, to hit the like. But shares count 20 times more. And comment, I hope you comment too. Never do math on a live stream, David. <laughs> yes, I'm doing too much math today. 
It's hard. Have a great day. Bye-bye.